And do you know how many people would probably like run away at the sight of dismembered legs? Yeah. Dude, there's a four foot bong and a bag of weed by your bed. <laughs> Jelly Wings, the parlor game for nerds, is nearing extinction. It's in my pod! It's in my pod! <laughs> I will find proof. <laughs> I am very easily startled, Mr. Finkelman. I don't know which regulation body would regulate the uh, penis ring that you were talking about earlier. (laughs) I'm ready to remain conscious as we record this show. Hey, welcome to Medical Stuff. My name is Mark. I've been on Broad Spectrum Antibiotics before Frankum. Uh... (laughs) Uh, Chris is taking care of his kids this weekend. They're having a little weekend uh, together, so it will be just me. I hope I'm enough for all of you. But this week, we will be talking about uh, the autism spectrum. And this is a suggestion from a couple of our listeners. So shout out goes to Allison and Katie Shannon in Scotland. Thank you very much for the idea. And I believe it was uh, one of a couple that you gave us. So you may be hearing from us again. You never know. But today we're going to be talking about the autism spectrum. So first up is going to be a history of autism. Uh, The first appearance of autism in historical literature was in 1911 by Eugene Bleuler, B-L-E-U-L-E-R, a psychiatrist from Switzerland, who used the term to describe a unique cluster of symptoms that were traditionally thought to simply be symptoms of schizophrenia. So 1911, old Eugene there. Uh, sorry, Dr. Eugene, <laughs> uh, decides that these are, yeah, they're probably a bit different than what they were normally being thought of as. So coming from the Greek word autos, autism was originally used to describe, to describe extreme social withdrawal that was common with psychiatric diseases that presented with psychosis. Although it's now known that autism and schizophrenia are two different and completely unrelated disorders, autism was not classified as its own order until, I'm sorry, until uh, 1980 in any diagnostic manual. Yeah, I went through that one well, didn't I? So, yeah, it took from 1911 of Dr. Eugene going, eh, this seems a little bit different to me, all the way up till 1980 before everybody else went, yeah, we see what you're talking about. So, uh, so the autism spectrum disorder is a de- uh, developmental disorder that affects communication and behavior. Although autism can be diagnosed at any age, it is said to be a developmental disorder because symptoms generally appear in the first years of life. According to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Medical Dis- or Mental Disorders, or the DSM-5, a guide created by the American Psychiatric Association used to diagnose mental disorders, people with ASD have, one, difficulty with communication and interaction with other people, two, restricted interests and repetitive behaviors, and three, symptoms that hurt the person's ability to function properly in school, work, and other areas of life. Autism is known as a spectrum disorder because there is a wide variety in the type and severity of symptoms people experience. ASD occurs in all ethnic, racial, and economic backgrounds. And although ASD can be a lifelong disorder, treatments and services can improve a person's symptoms or ability to function. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that all children be screened for autism and all caregivers should talk to their doctor about AST screening or evaluation. So getting this treated early is a good thing, is a great thing. 
because then not only is the child learning how to deal with it as they grow up, so it makes it a little more natural, but then also the parents can kind of get ahead of the, or the caregivers can get ahead of the curve on uh, taking care of this child. So the rise in autism diagnosis. Okay, here's a spoiler gang. It's not from vaccinations. So when we talk about the whole vaccination debacle in autism, what are we talking about? What we're talking about is a Dr. Andrew Wakefield and 12 of his colleagues who published a, a paper in The Lancet, which is a well-respected medical journal uh, linking uh, the measles, mumps, rubella, or the MMR vaccine to a predisposal to behavioral discretion, uh, regression, sorry, behavioral regression and pervasive development disorders in children. Now there were some problems with this study. Uh, a, the sample size was 12, and any legitimate researcher will tell you for you to have quantifiable statistics, you need a large group of people. You need a large uh, group of subject matter. 12 is not enough. So they put out this paper linking the MMR vaccination to autism, and this got a lot of people. Now, anti-vaxxers have been around since vaccinations have <laughs> been around uh back when uh cowpox was a problem so cowpox was a disease you got and they found that there were uh the milkmaids who were taking care of the cows every day never seemed to get cowpox and so they did some studying they did some testing and they came up with cowpox vaccination now, there were anti-vaxxers around at the time, and they were actually spreading rumors that taking the cowpox vaccination could turn you into a cow, you know, and it's not far off some of the statements that are made today about the MMR and the link to autism. You know, there is no link between the two. The paper was completely refuted. It was pulled. There was a retraction from the Lancet. The doctor, his name was Dr. Andrew Wakefield, I believe I said that already, um, was actually charged with criminal charges or ethical charges, I'm sorry, and found guilty by the, uh, by the uh, medical boards. And so, you know, he was released from the hospital that he was um, doing research at and had been working at for many years. And from what I understand, up till this point, was a respected physician. Now, there have been accusations of misconduct one of them that i heard was that he was working on an alternate vaccination for measles mumps rubella but the one that i found on the uh, national institute of health gov website uh, cites the fact that he received money from lawyers of families who were trying to sue the mmr vaccination pharmaceutical company well as you can imagine that is something of a conflict of interest. So, again, study after study after study after study has shown no link between uh, the MMR or any vaccines. And then there's people making statements based on the science who aren't scientifically trained to understand things. One of the ones you hear will be about the there was mercury. 
certain forms of mercury are hugely bad for the human body and for developmental, uh, on the development of children. But that's only certain kinds of mercury. Plus, there's no mercury in them anymore. It was just taken out because it was such a controversy. So, uh, the real story is the prevalence of autism in the United States has risen steadily since it began being tracked in 2000. Now, here's the problem. You have this paper in 1998 that comes out that makes this claim. And then in 2000, because they're tracking cases of this and trying to understand it better, you see a sharp rise in the number of people diagnosed as on the autism spectrum disorder. Not because there's a connection between the two, and this is where the term, you know, correlation does not equal causation comes into effect. Just because two things are happening does not mean that one is affecting the other. And so here you have a perfect example. You have this paper that says MMR vaccines cause autism. And then you see, start seeing a dramatic rise in the diagnoses of uh, autism spectrum disorder. It's not because of the MMR vaccine. It's because we are now starting to track it and we're starting to have better numbers and have better diagnoses and have the earlier diagnoses. So 2000, they started tracking these things. Uh, the rise in the rate has sparked fears of an autism epidemic, but the experts say the bulk of the increase stems from a growing awareness of autism and changes to the way the uh, condition is diagnosed and the criteria with which it's diagnosed. So it's not like this is something that you can catch by shaking the hand of somebody with autism. You know, <laughs> this is just something that because we're looking at it better, it's like, <laughs> it's like when you want to buy a specific car, say, I don't know, a Jeep. And I use a Jeep because I owned a Jeep one time and I really wanted to get a Jeep. And I noticed a lot more Jeeps on the road because I had Jeeps on my mind. I mean, I'm not saying there were more Jeeps on the road or I was passing more of these vehicles. What I'm saying is that because I was thinking about it and I wanted one, I noticed them more often. Something akin to that. I'm not saying that exact process, but when you start looking at something more definitively, you're going to find more of it. So what is the prevalence of autism in the United States? The Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, which I guess should be the CDCP. Hmm. I have to email them and get them to change that. I'm sure they'll probably take my phone call. Estimates that one in 68 children have autism in the U.S., uh, the prevalence is 1 in 42 for boys and 1 in 89 for girls. Uh, these rates yield a gender ratio of about 5 boys for every girl. Now, how do they come to this number? How do they, I mean, is this a dart over the shoulder into a board or what? No. Um, CDC researchers collect health and school records for 8-year-old children who live in select U.S. counties. These researchers are part of the Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network, which the CDC set up in 2000 to uh, estimate autism prevalence. Every two years, trained clinicians scan the records of students for autism features, such as social problems, repetitive behaviors. They focus on eight-year-olds because most children are enrolled in school and have a routine health assessment by the age of two. They then decide whether each children meets each child meets the criteria for autism. And if a child does not have a diagnosis, and uh, even if the child does not have a diagnosis, then they extra extrapolate the results to all the children in the United States. So they're basically doing a survey of these eight counties. And I don't know which eight counties they are. 
I didn't really look into it that hard. I don't know that the CDC would release that information because I'm sure that, that would cause some sort of public outcry. But they take these numbers and they look at it. And then from there, just like a survey, you see surveys all the time or polls on the news, you know, X number of percentage of Americans say this. Well, it's X number of Americans that you know, <laughs> answered the poll. But this is a little bit different because they're not trying to sway anything. They're saying, okay, when we have a, when we have a large a group this large that represents, I'm sure the counties represent a mix of America. So I'm sure it's probably urban, suburban, rural, you know. You know, if we say this many children, this many have autism, well then we can extrapolate that out for the whole country. And, you know, that's a big deal because, I mean, we need to understand this. One thing that I've noticed, especially in the last 10 years, so a lot of medicine, they call it practicing medicine for a reason. You know, we have the big one that I know of, the study we just did, or was done a, number, a couple of years ago. The big, the big one was called the ALP study. So for dysrhythmias in the heart, we, have, we had for many years two drugs. One was lidocaine, one was amiodarone. There was only one study before this ALP study done that showed that amiodarone was pff, hands above lidocaine. It was also put on by the people who make amiodarone. Okay, may not, you know, even if they're being honest and they're doing the best job they can, it still looks a little hinky, you know. So they did this huge ALP study. And we had a whole protocol and it was a nationwide, uh, there were, you know, sites nationwide. And we didn't know what we were giving the patient. The hospital really didn't know what there would be. The hospital doctor could find out because they had to know. But they were either getting uh, amiodarone, lidocaine, or placebo. And, you know, the, there are a bunch of opt-out options for people on these studies. You know, you can say you don't want to be in it. You know, you have a band that you can wear. There's a whole, there are groups of people that are just not viable for the test. And uh, when they finally came out, neither one was better than the other. What made a difference was CPR. And so this evidence-based medicine, which is coming into its own, is what we need. And that's what this is. It's evidence-based medicine. Okay, so again, autism strikes all demographics. It's, it's you know. So here are some people who have been famous who are on the autism spectrum. Uh, Alonzo Clemens, this gentleman... Uh, had an exceptionally low IQ. They put it somewhere between 40 and 50. But he was capable of creating incredibly detailed and lifelike 3D sculptures of animals. Uh, Craig Nichols, the frontman for Australian rock band uh, The Vines, was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome after being charged with <laughs> assault for kicking a photographer during a show. So he had a violent outburst, and he got treatment for it. Uh, Courtney Love, singer of Hole, Lead singer uh, was diagnosed with mild uh, as mildly autistic when she was a young girl. So <clears throat> that was probably back in the eighties, you know, then when it wasn't as fully known as it is today. And though she was uh, unusually intelligent, she struggled with school and with social interactions. Uh, Satoshi Tahiri, Tahiri. Uh, I apologize for murdering that. Uh, he was a creator of Pokemon. And he's been diagnosed with Asperger's. Anthony Hawkins was diagnosed with Asperger's when he put it 
or as he put it, my wife was trying to figure out who she was married to. He credits Asperger syndrome with making him extremely restless and in turn, an unusually hard worker. Uh, Daryl Hannah, actress, she was in Kill Bill. Uh, she was also in The Splash. And she's been fairly public about her diagnosis of Asperger's, which is good. We need to know, we need to normalize these things. We got to stop as a society not talking about them because that's when A, you get really bad information, and B, people act uh, or react poorly because they don't understand. Uh, Temple Grandin, Temple Grandin's work has reshaped the way livestock are handled, thanks in large part to her unique insight in how animals' minds work. But today, she's been known for giving the world a unique insight into how autism minds work. She has six books, three of which are The Autistic Brain, Thinking Across the Spectrum, Thinking in Pictures, the expanded edition, My Life with Autism, and then the last one I picked was Animals Make Us Human, which I don't disagree with. I think that's a fairly accurate statement. Then the last person I found was uh, Dan Harmon of Rick and Morty and Community uh, fame. Uh... And although he has never been formally diagnosed, he's convinced that he has it. He started looking up the symptoms uh, just to know what they are. And as he started reading more and more of them, they really started to resonate with him. So optimally, he needs to go to a doctor and he needs to get diagnosed so he can get on treatment. But, I mean, if he's reading all the symptoms and they all seem like he, like he knows what they're talking about, you know, let's take that as a sign. Let's take that on faith. So your signs and symptoms of the Asperger Spectrum Disorder, ASD. People with ASD have difficulty with social communication and interactions, restricted interests, and repetitive behaviors. Uh, there's a list below that gives that we're going to give here in just a second that uh, shows us some of the examples of the types of behaviors that are uh, seen in people diagnosed with ASD. Not all people with ASD will show all these behaviors, but most will show several of them. So... Um, Social communication and interaction behaviors may include making little or inconsistent eye contact, tending to not look at the person or listen to, the per, uh, to people as they're talking to you, rarely sharing enjoyment of objects or activities by pointing or showing things to others, failing to or being slow to respond to someone calling their name or to other verbal attempts to gain attention, having difficulties with the back and forth of a conversation, often talking at length about a favorite subject without noticing that others are not interested or without giving others a chance to respond. Having facial expressions and movements and gestures that do not match what is being said. Having an unusual tone of voice that may sound sing-song or flat and robot-like. Having trouble understanding another person's point of view or being unable to predict uh, or understand other people's actions. Restrictive or repetitive behaviors may include repeating certain behaviors or having unusual behaviors, for example, repeating words or phrases, a behavior called echolalia, E-C-H-O-L-A-L-I-A. -A -A. This is where you repeat, uh, a lot of times mumble, what somebody says to you to yourself. So, having a lasting intense interest in certain topics such as numbers, details, or facts. Having overly focused interests, such as moving objects or parts of objects. Getting upset by slight changes in routine. Being more or less sensitive than other people to sensory input, such as light, noise, clothing, or temperature. So, 
people with ASD may also experience sleep problems and irritability. And although people with ASD experience many challenges, they may have many strengths, including being able to learn things in detail and remember information for long periods of time, be strong visual or auditory listeners, excelling in math, science, music, or art. Okay, diagnosing ASD. So doctors diagnose ASD by looking at a person's behavior and development. Uh, ASD can usually be reliably diagnosed by the age of two. It is important for those uh, with concerns to seek out assessment as soon as possible so that diagnosis can be made and treatments can begin. Uh, diagnosing in young children is often a two-stage process. Uh, stage one, generally uh, general development scanning during a well-child checkups. Every child should receive well-child checkups with a pediatrician or an early adult health care provider. The Academy, American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that all children be screened for developmental delays at their 9, 18, 24, 30, and 30-month 30 well-child visits, specifically for autism at the 18 and 24-month uh, visits. Additional screening might be needed if a child is at high risk for ASD or developmental problems. Those at high risk include children who have family members with ASD, have some ASD behaviors, have older patients, and have certain genetic conditions or were born at a very low birth weight. Uh, parents' experiences and concerns are very important in the screening process for young children. Sometimes a doctor will ask parents questions about the child's behaviors and combine those answers with information from ASD screening tools and with his or her observations of the child. Children who show developmental problems during this screening process will be referred to a second stage of evaluation. So stage two. Uh, the second evaluation is a, with a team of doctors and other healthcare providers who are experienced in diagnosing ASD. This team may include a developmental pediatrician, a child psychologist and or child psychiatrist, a neuropsychologist, which is a doctor who focuses on evaluating, diagnosing, and treating neurological, medical, and neurodevelopmental disorders, uh, a speech-language pathologist, then the evaluation may assess cognitive level or thinking skills, level ability, uh, language abilities, and age-appropriate skills needed to compete, complete daily activities inter independently, such as eating, dressing, and going to the bathroom. Because AST is a complex disorder that sometimes occurs with, uh, along with other illnesses and learning disorders, uh, comprehensive evaluation will, be, will include blood tests and hearing tests. So, I mean, it would be horrible for the child to be diagnosed with ASD not that in and of itself is horrible but if it were a hearing problem the reason they weren't interacting with people was because they just couldn't hear them you know so diagnosing in older children or adolescents so ASD symptoms in older children and adolescents which attend who attend school are often first recognized by parents and teachers and then evaluated by the school, school special education team School's team may perform an initial evaluation and then recommend these children to visit their primary health care doctor and, or doctors who specialize in ASD. Parents may talk with these specialists about their child's social difficulties, including problems with subtle communication. Uh, these subtle communication issues may include problems understanding a tone of voice, facial expressions, body language. Other children and adolescents may have trouble understanding figures of speech, humor, or sarcasm. Parents may also find that their child has trouble forming friendships with peers. 
Now let's see, diagnosing in adults. Diagnosing ASD in adults is often more difficult than diagnosing it in children. In adults, some ASD uh, symptoms can overlap with symptoms of other mental health disorders, such as anxiety or ADD or ADHD. Uh, adults who notice the signs and symptoms of ASD should talk with a doctor and ask for a referral for an ASD evaluation. While testing for ASD in adults is still being refined, adults can be referred to a neuropsychologist, a psychologist, or a, psycho a psychiatrist, <laughs> psychiatrist, who has <laughs> experience with ASD. The experience will uh, the experts will ask about concerns such as social interaction and communication challenges, sensory issues, repetitive behaviors, restrictive interests. Uh, Information about the adult's developmental history will help make uh, help in making an accurate diagnosis. So an ASD evaluation may include talking with the parents or other family members, like Anthony Hopkins' wife. So getting a correct diagnosis of ASD as an adult can help a person understand past difficulties, identify his or her uh, strengths, and obtain the right kind of help. Studies are now underway to determine the types of services and support that are most helpful for improving the functioning and community integration of transition age youth and adults with ASD. So in 2013, a revised diagnostic uh, statistical manual of medical disorders was released. Uh, the revision changed the way autism is classified and diagnosed. Using the previous version of the DSM, people could uh, be diagnosed with one of several separate conditions, autistic disorder, Asperger's, syndrome or pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified you know the ppd nos so in the current revised dsm-5 these separate conditions have been combined into one diagnosis called autism spectrum disorder using the dsm-5 for example people who were previously diagnosed as having asperger syndromes would now be diagnosed as having autism spectrum disorder although the official diagnosis of asd has been changed there's nothing wrong with continuing to use terms such as Asperger's syndrome to describe oneself or identify with a peer group. So Asperger's is generally considered a fairly high functioning form of uh, autism. And so, again, one of the reasons the numbers have gone up is because of the recognition of what it is and what's going on and with better testing. So... Moving on to treatments and therapies. Treatment for ASD should begin as soon as possible after diagnosis. Early treatment for ASD is important as proper care can reduce individuals' difficulties while helping them learn new skills and make the most of their strengths. The wide range of issues facing people with ASD means that there is no single best treatment for ASD. Working closely with a doctor or healthcare professional is an important part of finding the right treatment program. So uh, you're gonna be, uh, you're gonna have some medications that are gonna be given. The doctor may use medication to treat some of the symptoms that are common with ASD. Uh, with medication, a person with ASD may have fewer problems with the irritability, aggression, repetitive behavior, hyperactivity, attention problems, and anxiety and depression. So some of these medications are uh, risperidone, which can treat irritability caused by uh, autism, quetiapine, which... Uh, has been treated usually to treat schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and depression. So if the patient's depressed or having some acting out issues, those can be uh, those can be used. And then you know there may be medications that help with. They said there medications that help with anxiety. You know, are going to uh, 
you be used to help control the symptoms, basically, because they don't really know what causes that. There's some core, again, there's some correlations with, uh, you know, uh, older parents, low birth weight, but there's not been a real direct link between those things. Uh, behavioral, psychological, and educational therapy. Uh, people with ASD may be referred to doctors who specialize in providing behavioral and psychological and educational and skill building interventions. These programs are typically highly, highly structured, intensive, and may involve parents, siblings, or other family members. Pa uh, programs may help people with ASD uh, life learning skills to live independently, reducing challenging behaviors, increases uh, increase or build upon strengths, and social. Uh, they're going to learn social and communication and language skills. So let's loop around to the um, three different levels of autism. So there are the three uh, defined by the DSM. So your level one autistic patient is going to be have noticeable issues with communication skills, socializing with others. They can usually have a conversation, but it might be difficult to maintain a back and forth banter. Others at this level might find it hard to reach out and make new friends. According to the DSM-5, people who receive a diagnosis of level one uh, autism require support. Uh, some of the symptoms, again, are going to be decreased uh, interest in social interactions, Obvious signs of communication difficulty, trouble adapting to changes. Uh, people with the outlook for patients with level one autism often, uh, they often have a high quality of life with very little support. The support usually comes in forms of behavioral therapy and other types of therapy. And uh, both of these approaches can help improve social and communication skills. Behavioral therapy can also help develop positive uh, behaviors that might not come naturally. Level two autism. Uh, these patients require uh, substantial support. The symptoms associated with this level become more severe, lack of both verbal and nonverbal communication skills, uh, makes uh, daily activities difficult. Uh, they have difficulties uh, coping with change in their surroundings, significant lack of verbal skills, behavioral issues severe enough to be obvious to a casual observer, unusual or reduced response to social cues, communication and interactions, troubles adapting to change, uh, communicating over very uh, using over overly simple sentencing. So level two autism patients generally need more support than level one. That seems fairly straightforward. <laughs> Even with the support, they may have a hard time adjusting to changes in their environment. Uh, uh, a variety of therapies can help. For example, sensory integration therapy may be used at this level. It helps people learn how to deal with sensory inputs such as off-putting smells, loud or annoying sounds distracting visual changes and flashing lights. Those with level two autism tend to also benefit from occupational therapy. The, this type of therapy helps uh, people develop the skills they need to complete daily tasks, such as decision-making and job-related skills. Level three autism. Uh, this is one of the most severe levels of autism, or it is the most severe level of autism, and those at this level require substantial support. In addition, to a more, a more severe lack of communication skills, people with level three autism also display repetitive and restrictive behaviors. Repetitive behaviors often refer to doing the same thing over and over and over again, which seems fairly obvious once you say it out loud, <laughs> whether the physical action or speaking the same phrase. Restrictive, restrictive behaviors are those that tend to distance them, someone from the world around them. These might, uh, might involve an inability to adapt to change or very narrow interest in a very specific subject. 
Symptoms for level three, uh, highly visible lack of verbal skills, very limited desire to engage socially, trouble changing behaviors, extreme difficulty coping with uh, uh, unexpected change, and uh, great, great distress or difficulty changing focus or attention. Uh, people with level three autism often need frequent intensive therapy that focuses on a variety of issues, including communication and behavior. They may also benefit from medication. While there's, while there's no medication that treats autism, certain drugs can manage specific symptoms and co or co-occurring disorders, such as depression or trouble focusing. Someone with this level of autism may also uh, need a caregiver who helps them learn basic skills that will allow them to be successful in school, at home, or at work. So that's what I have on autism today. Uh, unfortunately, Chris couldn't be here. I think we've, uh, he probably would have had a lot to put into this uh, conversation. But uh, he's taking some time with his kids so that they could uh, go enjoy the weather. It's a beautiful weekend out on the coast. And uh, hang out with them and have a good time. So uh, my name is uh, Mark Frankham. This is Medical Stuff. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, we're on Twitter at, at MedSideStuff, M-E-D-S-I-D-E-S-T-U-F-F. We're on Instagram at MedicalStuff52. We're also on Facebook at MedicalStuff. If you want to get a hold of us by email, it's going to be MedSideStuff, M-E-D-S-I-D-E-S-T-U-F-F, at Yahoo.com. We love hearing from you. We heard from a lot of people about being on Spotify. And again, today's uh, subject matter was brought to us by, or brought up by uh, the Shannon uh, clan in Scotland. So I hope you all have a good week. Uh, hopefully Chris will be back next weekend. We'll have a, or next Monday, and we will have another awesome show for you. Uh, try and be good. As always, we appreciate you listening. If you can give us a good review on iTunes or whatever listening platform you're on, we would appreciate it. That helps us out. And yeah, I'm going to go with a solo toast. Have a good week.